the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back to our third of three hours today. It is a delight to bring back to the station, dear friend, someone I have known, my gosh, for years and years and years, decades, really, uh, Steve Moore. Uh, when you look at an economic policy or even most social policies that have an economic attachment to them that you like and that are good or that have good thinking behind them, chances are Steve Moore had something to do with it, if not a lot. But in today's Wall Street Journal, states of COVID performance – they highlight a study he and his organization at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity have done. Steve, welcome back to the show. How are you, man? Hey, Seth. So good to be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, you we bet. Thanks for doing today. this study. I have to tell you, I don't know if you felt this, Steve, maybe because you're around uh, more policy folks than I am out in Phoenix. But taking memory back to you know 2020, March, April, May, I got to tell you, just a few of us out here on the West, we were looking for allies. We were looking for friends, people who had, you know, a second or third question about what these mitigation strategies were about to unleash. And it was a lonely world. People forget how lonely it was. I was so grateful to have you as an ally back then, Steve. You probably had a lot more allies because you're on the East Coast and stuff. But we were grateful to have you as an ally on this, seeing it early for what it was. Yeah, thanks for saying that, Seth. But you know, you look back of what's happened in the last few years with COVID, and, you know, we did certainly some things right as a nation, but there were so many mistakes that was made. It was really tragic, and that's why we really wanted to do this study to see, Good. okay, did some states get it right? Did some, which states got it wrong? And the big takeaway from this study, because we examined death rates in the 50 states from, from COVID, we looked at what happened with schools, we looked at what happened with unemployment rates and the you know, the economic damage done to businesses. And I've got to tell you, you look at the data across the 50 states, and there is really no case for lockdowns, right. none. Right. The lockdowns were a failed strategy. They had a very, very minimal effect on spreading, on uh, reducing the spread of the virus. But when you look at the damage that was done, I, I happen to think it was one of the greatest mistakes we made. Now, there were states, that, you know, one thing that Trump did from the beginning that I think was pretty smart, really smart, actually, is that he he basically, after the first month or so, he said, you know, we're going to let the states make the decisions right, here. Right. We're not going to have Washington have a, you know, a federal policy. And I guarantee you this, you know, you can love hate Trump or hate him, but I guarantee you this, if Joe Biden had been president in March and April and May of 2020, he would have shut down the entire American economy, mm-hmm. and it would have been catastrophic. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. There's an interesting thing, too, if you if you go back to those early days of 2020, that first quarter of 2020, Steve, maybe first and second quarter. The governors were a little uh, – the governors across the country, they were a little – they were they, they were unsure-footed in the sense sure. of I think a lot of them wanted this to be Trump's issue. I think a lot of them wanted the president to handle these tough decisions so that they wouldn't have to be – they wouldn't <laughs> have to hold the accountability. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and look, at the beginning of the, the, you know, the panic that we had over 
to the um, COVID. There's no question that, uh, you know, people didn't know what to do. Americans were worried. Politicians were panicked. What really bothered me is that after, you know, six months or so, we had a much better sense of what we were dealing with. And these states like New York, you know, the states that we rank the worst are states like New York, New Jersey, California, Illinois. Gee, what do all those states have in common? Mm -hmm. They were run by liberal Democrats. And they just tore their economies apart. And i got to tell you, having traveled a, a decent amount over the last year and a half so throughout the country, if you went to, say, Florida versus going to, let's say, California, it was like two different countries. You bet. You bet. <laughs> it I, was amazing. Oh, we you experienced know, it here. California was shut down. Oh, yeah. Florida was pretty much back to normal. Yeah. We experienced it here with a lot of Californians coming to Arizona. We weren't as free as Florida, but we were nowhere close to what California was. And people just would come to us. We'd go shopping with our friends from California, and they'd be amazed that we were allowed to go shopping without a face mask. Just amazed. Gobsmacked. The culture. And don't forget, by the way, Seth, one of the things, two things I find interesting as we look back at last year's. First of all, do you remember when, uh, when in the first, you know, month or so, when, uh, Governor uh, Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, would have these press conferences, and my God, the the press was so adorable. Yes. They were acting like he was he should be president. Yep. The man is so wise, yep. and oh my gosh, this is what it's like to have a smart president. And of course, the irony of that is there's no governor in America, uh, maybe other than Governor Murphy of uh, of New Jersey, who you know screwed everything up more than more than uh, you know Cuomo. Now, of course, he's been he had to resign in disgrace, but it's just amazing that he was the hero. And then do you also remember um, that's how they just savaged Ron DeSantis, yep. the governor of Florida. Yep. They called him Ron DeSantis. Yep. You know, all these people, how dare they let people go to the beaches and, yep. you know, open up hotels and things. And it turns out that, that Florida, when you age adjust the you know, population, because obviously COVID we now know is a disease that really primarily affected older people, um, Florida had no higher death rate. They were virtually the same between California and and uh, and Florida. Even though Florida opened up its economy and, and California stayed, you know, locked down for about a year and a half. And New York did worse on the per capita death rate. Oh, uh, well, New York was the worst. New yeah. York and New Jersey were. And and you know, this is the thing. What are you know? Here's the point. What do we learn? Because let's not make these mistakes again. So, what are some of the takeaways? Well, one of the takeaways is that um, you know you. You, we should have protected the vulnerable population. Yep. And we knew who that was. Yep. We knew from what had happened in Europe and Asia that this was a, you know, a disease that was deadly for older people. Mm-hmm. You know, the older you were, the more likely. So we should have kept the nursing homes safe. Right. But, of course, in New York, they shut down everything, except they didn't keep the nursing homes safe, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people died in the nursing homes. Yep. Same thing in New Jersey and, and Michigan. And so if we had just adopted a policy of saying we know people with health problems, people who are older, people over, you know, maybe severely overweight, they have to be really careful. But the other 80 percent of us, we could really pretty much, you know, carry on with our lives as normal. But we didn't do that. And I think that was the biggest mistake of all. I think I think you're right about that. And I think there's a few others that if if I could run by you, I'd love your thoughts on. But let too. me just make, hold on. Let me just make one quick point. Yeah, sure. You know, one of the reasons we didn't do this with like, you know, um, with like obese people is because of political correctness. Right. Oh, my gosh, we don't want to shame people. You know, it's like, well, no, we want to keep them safe. Right. We want to make sure that, you know, if someone's severely overweight, you know, and they, you may have if someone has emphysema 
or something like that. Yeah, they have to be really careful. And yet it was political correctness that, no, 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 we can't really, we can't do that. We can't, you know, treat a fat person different from someone who's, who's you know, in shape. No, I, I, I think political correctness, Steve, um, not only played a huge role there, but I think it played a huge role in the death toll. Because I have to hit a break it real is. quick. Let me pick this up with you on the other side. But let me just plant this before we go to break. We didn't want to talk about obesity, but we did right. want we did want to close down gyms, and we did want to close down public parks and access for the right. things that help address obesity. Yeah. It was yep. insanity on. So let me take a quick break with you, Steve, and I'll come okay. right back. I'm Seth Liebson. Right. He's Steve Moore. We're talking about his organization's great new study, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. You can actually access it yourself. Either read the summary in today's Wall Street Journal or go to committee. To unleashprosperity.com. We'll be right back. Well, I didn't. I didn't realize that song was coming up, but that's a great one. Who has the last laugh now? No one's laughing, um, but there will be a discussion. I hope about accountability over what was done. Uh, during the uh, COVID pandemic, we're talking to Steve Moore. He is with the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, Committee to Unleash Prosperity dot com. He has this brand new uh, and important report about how the states did. And they did a great measurement. They did a great statistical analysis across three major issues, uh, three major uh, trajectories, economy, education and health. Steve, right before the break, we were talking about political correctness and how we could not really Talk about the issue of obesity being uh, one of the one of the highest indicators of, of, you know, serious result or death from from acquiring or attracting or obtaining covid. And I think it I think it led to a lot more negative consequences. And the public policy on it was upside down. We closed, as we said, as I said, you know, we closed the gyms. We closed the public parks. We had mayors. I don't know if you saw this where you live on the East Coast, Steve. We had a mayor here in Phoenix who was urging citizens of Phoenix to report neighbors and family members who access yeah. the public parks on holidays, Steve, on yeah. holidays. So. Yeah, I mean, this is a really great point. When we talk, by the way, I didn't mention I mentioned the states that did poorly in the last segment. You know, I said the New York, New Jersey, yeah, yeah. Illinois, New Mexico. This, but I want to do a, a shout out to the states that did it right. Sure. So those were uh, Utah, yep. and Nebraska, and Montana, and Florida, and uh, South Dakota. Those were the states that that hand. Oh, and Vermont, which actually is a more liberal state, but they handled it pretty well. But here is the. Um, the thing about when you make, when you talk about really major mistakes, yeah, you make. yeah. shutting down parks, right? That was the stupidest thing right. ever. Right. You know, the two greatest disinfectants from from a disease are sunlight and fresh air. Right. And we locked people in their homes, and now the evidence is pretty clear that was the worst thing you could do. Correct. And by the way, vitamin D, which is sunlight, is one of the best um, treatments. Yep. COVID. Yeah. So it never made any sense to me. We live behind literally a, a national park, the Great Falls National Park, which is basically in our backyard, and they shut it down. Yep. And we, you know, we would just sneak into the park, you know, and we'd be out there, and there'd be nobody, and we'd have those huge gigantic yep. surf, and and there'd be somebody maybe fifty yards away, and be like, oh, we have to really worry that that person is going to give us COVID. Uh, so that was, re- I mean, they shut down basketball courts, they shut down playgrounds, they shut down. Um, you know, public park. Yep. It, it was really insanity. And and then you see these parents, you know, parents, you know, they have their kids playing soccer 
you know, out in the field, there's seven-year-old kids that may be wearing masks yeah. outside. And, and by the way, the, just so you know, Seth, I think you know the statistic, but a lot of people don't know. Someone over the age of 65 was 1,000 times, 1,000 times more likely to die from COVID than someone who was, was of school age. Yep. So why were we doing this? Why did we shut down the schools? That was the, maybe the most criminal, criminally negligent act of all. And it was all driven by the teachers' unions because there was not a shred of evidence that shutting down schools had any positive effect. In fact, our study shows that. The, st- the states that kept their schools open, like Nebraska, they didn't have kids dying. Nope. Steve, you said it was the most criminal of all what we did to the kids. I agree with you on that because when we shut down the schools, we are now seeing the results. Education loss, of course. Learning yep. loss, of course that existed. But what horrible, happened horrible. to these kids – I mean, we were talking. I've, I've been talking to uh, you know organizations that get and institutions, uh, state agencies that get involved with you know obviously child abuse and those kinds of problems. No reporting. All the reporting for child abuse disappeared. Of course, no after-school activities, no social programs, and yep. of course, instantiating fear into these kids as if that's what you're supposed to do with kids: give them fear and anxiety. I mean, adults have been playing ga- yep. their political games with kids for far too long, but the apex of it was during COVID. And we're now seeing these results in these studies about not just the learning loss, of course, but the emotional, the suicide ideation. The social development. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my I mean, gosh, I saw, Steve. I saw, that, that, I saw that in my two own two you know, young teenage yeah. sons. Sure. I, could, I could see that they were wilting yep. under this, and we finally had to send them to a Catholic school because it remained open, yep. and it made all the difference in the world. But you're right. This was the greatest episode of national child abuse in our history. Our country, our That's a quotable history. quote. I'm going to steal that from you, Steve. I'm just yeah. giving you fair warning. I'm, if you see okay. it yeah, from me, I warned you. The, that is the sincerest form of flattery. Okay. <laughs> Steve, accountability. The weird thing about this is by the almost week, by the week, we practically are seeing things that have changed everything we used to, the mainstream was reporting about COVID, about whether it's the death count and how we counted the death count, about, as you say, the conditions that would lead to it, the people who were most vulnerable, mm-hmm. about whether it was transmissible from kids or in school. Almost yeah. all of this stuff, you saw the Johns Hopkins study maybe a month and a half, two months ago that says maybe two-tenths yeah, of a percent. Right. right. Yeah. All of this is getting buried. All of it. Is there going to be accountability? Uh, you know, that is the thing that makes me the most nervous. You know, exactly what you said. I, I have to, as part of my job, read the Washington Post and the New York Times sure. and, you know, sure. watch CNN. They still, they still talk as if, that they, as if the lockdowns were the right thing to right. do. They're, right. they're imper- these are the people who say follow the science. Right. Well, the science is crystal clear on this. And so I'm very nervous about this. That's why I want everybody to look at the study. Me too. Um, because we can never, never, never do this again. Lock down our businesses, bankrupt our company, keep kids locked in the home, shutting down the schools. You know, uh, we, you know how much we spent at the federal level on COVID? $5 trillion. That's a, that's, We're going to spend that's, decades, that's decades undoing the damage. And we still have liberals who, who defend the policy. And, and I... I don't even know how anyone can look at the evidence and say this was the right thing to do. And, and so let's not do this again, folks. But it's one thing to have made mistakes at the beginning of COVID when we didn't know what we were dealing with. But then to continually repeat them, that is, uh, is derelict. 
Steve Moore, you're a godsend. What we would, what would, what would we do without people like you? Honest to gosh, no, honest, honestly. Oh, by the way, I just want to do a quick shout out yeah. to my co-authors, Phil Kirpin, sure. who's an expert on COVID, yep. and the great Casey Mulligan at University of Chicago, one of the best economists. So it was a team of people who put this together, and yeah, thanks for um, you know for bringing this to your you bet. attention. And you bet, and uh, great to be with you. Again, no, you too, Steve. As always, I love uh, I love going after the dragons. We try and slay together. Bless you, Steve. <laughs> okay, More Godspeed Bye. to you. We'll talk to you soon. As we go to break, let me put in a good word for our friends at Balance of Nature. I take it every single day, including just before the show today. Whole food nutrition, the fruits and veggies are made from fresh whole produce. They use an advanced cold vacuum process that locks the phytonutrients of the, of the, and the vitamins and the minerals of the fruits and vegetables right into those capsules that are so easy to take. You take them just once a day. If you don't like swallowing a capsule, you can open them up. I take it every day. Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. Keeps me healthy, keeps my immunity boosted, and it's great for, I'm a long-distance runner, it's great for repair work too, body repair, body repair work, personal body repair work. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and today it's still a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need a pushy commission salesperson to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. What you want, then, too, is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience, complete range of coins and bullion, so you get what you want at the best value. Enter Midas Gold Group, veteran-owned, proud supporters of America First and this show right here on 960. They're fighting for your right, the financial privacy and freedom that gold offers. I know these guys. These are great guys. Trust me. <laughs> They're good men. Trust the dealer that I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of our listeners know and trust. That's the Midas Gold Group. Give them a call at 480-360-3000 or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. Com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. All right. Well, the chat I had with Steve vis-a-vis how states have been performing various attempts at lockdowns, um, it's important stuff. It's important stuff for the history books. It's important that we have a say in what those history books report and uh, publish and it's important, too, that we retake for ourselves one of the aspects that come, one of the fr- virtues that come in a constitutional republic that esteems the right to vote and the right to be represented, which is to say accountability, accountability. Whatever happened to that when it comes to public policy and politics, we find it Quite often in the law, people seem to support corporations getting their just desserts or condign punishment, if you will, when they do something that affects the population negatively or an individual plaintiff individually. We, we support and applaud that. We support and applaud when someone we know of does something wrong, gets arrested. We know that we support criminals being punished. We know that we support crime being prevented. But what about when public policy crimes are committed? 
What about that? Why do we refuse so often to impress accountability at the ballot box? I think a lot of people have a lot to answer for this November now that the facts of COVID, COVID mediation, COVID lockdowns have come to light. We talked about a few different things with Steve vis-a-vis the various states, but notice the main effort right now of every liberal outlet and left-wing organization. Attack Florida. Attack Ron DeSantis. This was true throughout COVID, and it is now true with regard to protecting children, their minds, their hearts, their souls, their educational experience, their emotions, their intellect. It's an interesting thing that the media is so focused on Florida, whether it was COVID or whether it's this stuff now. Why do you think that is? Well, do you remember how prominent Christy Noem was in the news up until they discovered Ron DeSantis? Remember that, Bill? You remember. I'm not making this up. She was everywhere for a while. And now not so much. Now it's Ron DeSantis. Because the left has figured out what the bigger threat to them is. That's why. The left has figured out Ron DeSantis is the threat, not Christy Noem. Oh, sure. For a while they thought it might be. But now it's Ron DeSantis. Will someone else come and trump Ron DeSantis? At this stage, it's hard to say because I don't think you can outdo Ron DeSantis. You can't uh, you can't, can't brighten the sun, shall we say. And Ron is doing everything right. But what about, at the end of the day, all those deaths in Florida? What about all the nasty things they said about DeSantis, Dr. Death and all that? Well, okay. Florida had an aging population, probably the highest aged population in the country. So we already know that with COVID, things are going to affect Florida a little differently than they're going to affect, oh, I don't know, where the retirement population isn't so prevalent. I don't know. Pick another state. Pennsylvania, maybe. But guess what? Florida did better than Pennsylvania when it came to per capita COVID deaths. Guess what? Florida did better than New York when it came to per capita deaths. Guess what? Florida did better than Michigan when it came to per capita COVID deaths. Guess what? Florida did better than New Jersey when it came to per capita COVID deaths. Florida wasn't in the top 10 of states with the highest per capita death rates. Not the top 10. Not even the top 11 or 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 or 16. Will there be accountability for the media on this? Will there be accountability for the politicians that put us and our children through all this? Notice still, too, it's always about the kids. They love using the kids. They love terrorizing the kids. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I don't know if these are bragging rights that bear fruit or not. I I take certain pride, I suppose, in looking back over a career in radio um, that 
can boast that it was really uh, – I was the first radio host uh, to interview Andy McCarthy and make him a regular on nationally syndicated radio. And I don't think I'm the first radio host to interview Wilfred Riley, but uh, I don't know if any radio host has interviewed him more or earlier. And it's a delight to watch because this is a mind alive. This is our next generation of great public intellectuals that our movement needs and needs to replenish. And it's becoming increasingly difficult. I can talk about why. But Williford Riley, in fact, I'll make a note to talk about why. But Wilford Riley has the new Prager video up, The Whiteness of Wokeness. And I think it's worth our time. Uh, Bill Maestro, would you play this for us? How do you explain this? Most people agitating for radical social change on behalf of people of color are not themselves people of color. They're overwhelmingly woke white leftists. They use the genuine plight of poor minorities as a wedge, a lever by which to change the basic character of American society, a change that most people of color do not want. Both anecdotal evidence and hard data bear this out. A good example is the woke left's obsession with politically correct speech. Ostensibly, this is all in the service of protecting the tender feelings of long-suffering minorities. However, according to the best publicly available data, most minority groups dislike PC culture more than whites do. 88% of Native Americans, 87% of Hispanics, 82% of Asian Americans, and 75% of Blacks versus 79% of whites, call political correctness a problem. According to multiple studies, only young, white, college-educated, liberal, and leftist women strongly support speech restrictions. A Pew poll about the use of the term Latinx, an attempt to remove gender from Latino and Latina, makes this point. Only a quarter of all Hispanics and 38% of Hispanic college graduates have even heard of the term. What's more, only 3% ever opt to use it. Many find it ridiculous. If anything, the pattern here is one of white leftists telling Hispanics to speak in a more woke fashion and Hispanics refusing to comply. This turns out to be the rule, not the exception. Defunding the police, a left-wing cause celeb for much of 2020 and 2021, is another case in point. A study conducted by Gallup found that 81% of black Americans want the police presence in their neighborhoods to either remain the same or increase. Only 19% of blacks favored any decrease whatsoever in police presence. Little wonder. As empirically minded scholars have long pointed out, anti-police and soft on crime policies tend to dramatically increase crime rates in urban minority neighborhoods. In 2021, 12 major cities broke previous homicide records. Meanwhile, the number of arrests nationwide plummeted 24% in 2020 to the lowest in 25 years, according to FBI data. Then there's education policy. On charter schools labeled racist by many liberals and leftists, data show another significant split. Black and Hispanics, especially parents, favoring school choice, white liberals and leftists opposed. According to recent data from Democrats for Education Reform, 58% of black Democrats and 52% of Hispanic Democrats have a positive opinion of charter schools. In contrast, just 26% of white Democrats favor charters. Economist Thomas Sowell has observed that in the major American charter networks, 
Among those classrooms in which students of color make up 90% or more, kids perform almost exactly on par with the majority white student population of the nation's public schools. Some do far better. In a misguided effort to increase diversity, white leftists have lobbied to lower educational standards for blacks and Hispanics. Yet evidence suggests that maintaining traditional standards is a much more effective approach. The average combined SAT score for the sizable and mostly black senior class at the Success Academy Charter School System in 2019 was 1268. 10% of the class scored higher than 1400. Like most charters today, Success Academy is a pure lottery school that does not get to pick and choose students. Given that fact and the school's results, we're talking about New York City. It is no surprise that minority parents, unlike white Democrats, strongly support charter schools. The simple truth is that black and Hispanic citizens do not show much enthusiasm for cancel culture, for pulling good and mostly minority cops out of their neighborhoods, or for depriving their kids of a sound education in service to woke white notions of equity. There's an excellent reason for this. The people who suffer from these radical policies are people of color. And most people of color know it. The obvious question that usually arises when someone makes these points is, so why do 90% or so of black Americans vote for the party that supports all these destructive policies? The answer is as simple as the query. Blacks are constantly told that the only serious alternative to the left is a racist party that wants to put them back in chains, to quote Joe Biden when he was vice president. This pitch has been very successful. In short, it works. If it ever stops working, as I'm hardly the first to note, U.S. politics would change overnight. While we wait and see if this will ever happen, one practical piece of advice remains relevant. If you want to know what individual members of any particular group happen to think, ask them, not those who claim to speak and act in their best interest. I'm Wilfred Riley, professor of political science at Kentucky State University for Prager University. Well, there's a lot to draw from that. A lot. Maybe the first thing is conservatives, Republicans, take this and run with it. Go to the black community. Jack Kemp was right. Donald Trump was right. Go there. Don't be afraid of it and speak the truth. If the main pillar of the system is living a lie, it's not surprising that the fundamental threat to it is living the truth, which is why the left wants to suppress it and you so strongly. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, and thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I, I unloaded that uh, that great grenade that was thrown by Wilfred Riley, and um, I said a few things around it. One is uh, one of the things is that it is going to be harder to replenish the intellectual capital of conservative uh, professors, the professoriate, as Wilfred Riley represents. You know, in the 70s, it would not have been hard to throw a rock and uh, let it hit any given university and find a couple at least conservative professors uh, in, in, in the liberal arts, perhaps in the English department, perhaps in the political science department. Uh, it became rarer and rarer 
And the reason it became rarer and rarer to the point where just non-existent now, there's maybe one guy at Princeton, one guy at Harvard, two guys at Claremont. You know, it, the reason it's become rare now is because they stopped hiring conservatives. They stopped hiring conservatives and then conservatives stopped applying for those jobs and they fled for the think tank world. I think it's time to revisit and reconsider whether that was the right move. Tevi Troy and I have this argument all the time. I've long criticized him for not being a professor, and he said, where would I apply? Who would hire me? And thus, he's worked for a lot of think tanks and put out a lot of books and doing great work. But suffer the students, I think. Suffer the students. Now, he's right. They wouldn't have hired him. But I think that's changing, and I believe as the left has decided to flood our system and flood our zone, I think we should be flooding theirs. Let's flood their system, the universities, and flood their zone, the professoriate. Let's overwhelm them with professors trained in Western civilization and the classics. Because at the end of the day, I believe to my core that this is what parents want their children to learn, the good stuff. And those boards of trustees, if we can get to them, are littered, populated with and by, you named it, parents. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.